Yes, Cymru Radio. Radio Free Wales. It's the 13th of April 2022. I'm Sean Jobbins. This is Radio Yes Cymru. It's time for independence. Yes, Cymru Radio. And on tonight's show we have uh, the author Richard King. He's the author of a new book called Brittle with Relics, A History of Wales, 1962 to 1997. Richard, welcome to Radio Yes Cymru. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. And it's good to have you. It's a very interesting book, just so the listeners have an idea what it is. It's basically an oral history of, sort of political and social Wales from 1962 when Cymru was formed in the early 60s there until the referendum in 1997. It goes a bit, bit before then, a bit after then, but it basically deals with the way Wales has changed. And we were talking before the programme, and you said, Richard, that Professor um, Daniel Williams down there in Swansea University said, it's a book, essentially, which explains how Wales defeated Thatcherism and also defeated Kinnickism, you know, that, that strain of the Labour movement, which is very hostile to devolution and the language. Would you think that's a fair um, precy of the book, Richard? Yes, um, I think that's a very generous uh, interpretation of the book. I um, I knew I was going to finish with devolution and um, the narrowness of the vote. And yeah. I wanted to try and explain, well, to ourselves, really, why that vote was so narrow, uh, whilst also celebrating the fact it was a positive vote. And yeah. uh, you know, as I'm sure you know, the places that voted for devolution were Ivro Cymraeg, Cynedigion, Carmarthenshire, Gwynedd, but also the Valleys voted for yeah. it. So uh, I thought telling the areas of those, telling the stories of those areas was a good way of trying to identify why we decided to have devolution. Yes, and I think it's very good. So that people understand, Richard has spoken to Oh, it's about fifty odd people. I think I'm, I'm included, surprisingly. But um, nearly a hundred, Sean. Is that yeah. it? So there's a lot of people there. So it's an oral history, and it's very interesting. And people from different uh, points of view. So you have your Neil Kinnocks, you have David Ewan. Uh, so if you like, the both spectrums, but also deals with different themes. So there's themes to do with the the peace movement in the 1980s, the the miners' strike in the 1980s, the the campaigns for the Welsh language, the Welsh Language Act, education in Welsh. So it brings lots of different themes together, and in a way, I think what you tried to do, Richard, if I'm correct, is essentially there's a coalition which won the referendum in 1997, and as mm-hmm. I just alluded, is basically a programme. So if you like Welsh-speaking Wales, and then Welsh Wales, the old it was the old Dennis Balsam uh, analogy. Yeah. So the valleys and and the west. And how did that happen? Because it didn't happen in um, in 1979, but mm. something happened in the intervening years that made that happen. I mean, I I, I read it. I was what is great for for the listeners. It's it's an easy read. So it's an interesting <laughs> book. It's an important historical document. But the chapters deal with themes, and you get quotes from you know verbatim quotes, which Richard has uh, collected by different people relating to the different subjects. It's a nice, easy read. It's something you can pick up and put down and come back to quite easily. I have to say, Richard, I told you before, I don't have a very high opinion of Neil Kinnock in any case, but after reading this book, it's gone down even lower, you know, even lower than a curbstone. I mean, an awful quote. Kinnock comes out with something that I really enjoyed, the 1979 devolution election, election was the last time he really enjoyed politics when he basically stuffed it to the gnats. And you think, what an idiot, you know, to think... The only Labour government on these islands has been in the one in the devolution 
assembly which he campaigned against in 1979 yeah. but there's some cork of quotes like that and uh, maybe you can say a few more quotes which are stand out to you um well i mean i should say that talking to neil kinnick he was really charming and eloquent yeah. in his own way and yeah um, and i've heard many people say that as well yeah but i i you know he this clearly um still rankles with him now you know right. how, um, I find that interesting. I mean, a, a, a quote I like was Peter Hain discussing the Yes for Wales campaign yeah. and the, the 97 referendum, just to concentrate on, on Neil Kinnock and yeah. um, just to give a flavour of it, if not to, you know, not wanting yeah. to utterly vilify him. Uh, yeah. Peter Hain says, when it came to the 97 referendum, what did we do with Neil? Oh, I think we, 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 we got him to promise that he'd shut up and that was the best we could <laughs> <Yeah>. do. <laughs> but, um, I think uh, overall, the, um, the quotes I think that really stick with me were people like Arvin Evans, who was the chair of the Mardi Lodge uh, of mm. the NUM during the miners' strike, when he described taking the lodge back to work the day yeah. they returned to work in 85. And, him describing their their walk back to the pit in the darkness and the fact they never needed a picket line because they came out as one and they went back as one and um, that uh, lots of uh, I did about a third of the book in person and two thirds on Zoom and because oh, um, I did most of the research during the pandemic and uh, I spent a lot. Very, my grandfather's a miner in in Glenammon. He he was. Uh, mined in the Raven Colliery, which was two or three down from Bettis, where Jim Griffiths, yeah. who founded the Fed, mined. So um, I have his miner's lamp on my desk, uh, partly to remind me that I've never done a hard day's work in my life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I have, it just means a great deal to me. But um, I did show that to quite a few former NUM members on Zoom, um, and that got things off to a good start. And um, Talking to them really was was often rather an emotional kind of um, cycling yeah. we went through because I think people, a lot of people involved in the strike don't like to talk about it. I don't know if you found that, but that was my experience that we went quite deep into it all, and, and people weren't um, were in control of their emotions at all times. Yeah. talking about. I mean, it. I'm I'm sort of low. With the, I mean, there's also the, there's a danger when when it's discussing heavy heavy industry, especially maybe mining. That becomes mm. some kind of um or thorn, isn't it? And you know, right, kind of right. schmaltzy. But I think it is that chapter, and it sort of permeates throughout the book, is obviously the pivotal thing because there's a very important letter, which in quite famous letter written by Saunders Lewis just before the 19, 1979 referendum, the one we lost. Yeah. And he sort of says, you know, there are lots of mines which the government will consider to be. Uh, not working to economically beneficial, you know, the, the mines are going to be closed and steelworks are going to suffer. And that's essentially what, and we'll have, if we vote no, we'll have nothing to defend ourselves. Yeah. I, know, I don't know how many people read that letter by Saunders, but I mean, that essentially came true. And I think for many people, the penny started to drop after maybe the failure of the referendum, the, the miners' strike, and the, the bonds which have been made, as you outlined in the book, you know, not with, just within the mining community, but I remember collecting 
tins for food outside Asda's and Coriton in Cardiff with my dad. So, I mean, mm. the people doing stuff like that, people going up to the north, up to the Blaine Fistinjog, with yeah. uh, farmers also towards Vellinvach and in Nabrero and Dufnidon. So, those kind of links were made, and I think that did a lot of breaking down. Because what is interesting, and I have a sort of child's memory of, you know, that the, there was visceral hatred towards the Welsh language by many people in the Labour movement and you know, yeah. in Cardiff and, and Newport, where you were raised at the time. And I think it's difficult maybe for younger listeners to sound patronising, you know, even my, my children, to understand. Oh, there's, there's some of that still about, I mean, that's not kid ourselves, but it was mm. a visceral hatred. And that comes out in a book. And I think that's a very int- important contribution because I think people by now have forgotten about that. And, you know, they're just, it kind of sort of touches on it and the sort of, uh, I think Gwynvor, there's a reminiscence by some of Gwynvor's children about, you know, the, the sort of abuse and strain given on him, just from asking yeah. what simple things, education. And what I think maybe happened in the minor strike, I mean, I think that sort of broke down a part of that with some people. Sure. Well, I re- thank you for saying that, Sean, because I think part of the motivation for writing the book was for people under the age of, say, 35, 30 mm if they were to read it they'd say let's never do that to ourselves again in wales yeah, yeah. you know let's let's not you know, never mind divide and rule we did it to ourselves yeah, you know yeah. um yeah. and that point about industry you know you're quite right one of the things that really took me aback was learning about a place like bp Slandarsi. yeah um and the facilities huge yeah. huge employer yes. and the facilities they offered you know three yeah. Three elevens in football and cricket, three fifteens yeah. at least, ground staff, canteens, um, squash courts. And the idea, I don't know about you, but the idea of trying to envision industrial South Wales or light industrial South Wales as places of prosperity was something of a mental leap. Now, my parents were both teachers in what were then grammar schools in places yeah. like Pontawine and um, Newbridge and Ebu Vale and... My mother always said the best school she ever taught at was Ebu Vale. And right. for people our age who remember the landscape as it was there in the mid-80s onwards, prosperity isn't the word that springs to mind, you know. Um, so as much as, you know, one mustn't sentimentalise what, exactly what you're talking about um, with with mining, which which we can do that here. I, here, here mm. What was the phrase you used, Sean? Here well, I? it's a made up. Here I feel yeah. fun. I, I'm going to uh, postmark that and uh, date mark it. <laughs> okay, well, it's a good one. Um, but but you know, just just thinking about what full employment gave people a sense of yeah. purpose and identity. But to your um, further point, then yes, definitely, hearing someone like Steve Eaves talk about putting collections together in in Bangor mm. and. Um, you know, Fred, Fred Francis and men here organising holidays. Yeah. For, uh, but also within that, you know, what came to be called co-consciousness, um, uh, who I think I, I definitely, I, I know there are, there are histories of Kondaithias. I think the history I've gone with in this book is one that's very, very favourable because I think on, on paper what they did was remarkable and I wanted mm. people who don't understand the language to encounter them um but yeah that idea of co-consciousness that the miners strike the anti-apartheid movement the language movement uh greenham and cnd were all of a sort of form of 
social awareness and social activism at the time. I don't know how many people actively thought and participated in that way, but a number of people I spoke to seemed to say that the minor strike, as you said, was a trigger that did break down um, barriers in Wales over the language when people realised we had become a country that was full of communities in crisis that needed each other's help. Yes, exactly, and I think that's that's a big point. And, and the more speaking to you, Richard, I, I understand. I I, I realise you know, we've all been a part of history in some respect. And you know, I was a teenager in the eighties, and my dad Alan, you know, would take me to the anti-apartheid rallies in Cardiff, yeah, and some some stuff with the miners and and other things. And you know, he was a applied member, uh, but again, on with people who who weren't, you know, under we had a local Labour council next door, but when. So these kind of things. I mean, but, I mean, you talk about quite a small number of people, really. I mean, mm, and I think mm. that what you've done with Comdethas is important because people. There is a sort of trope if you're in in favour of the of the language, then you are by definition because you're trying to defend something. It's says a conservative element to it, or naturally that you're going to be on, on a conservative spectrum, which is obviously valid and 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 possible as well. But I think what you've shown out in the in the book is how much. Work was done by Cymdeithas people in areas outside the language with, with the minor strike and, and other things as well. But I mean, what happened was there seemed to be, I'm, I'm guessing, what are we talking about 5,000 politically active people, 10,000 mm. maybe, who are doing stuff with, you know, in their own little sphere, be that the anti apartheid or the, um, the, the, the minor strike outside actually the people who actually were minors or in, in part of in, in industrial or with other strikes. And that permeated to change society. And that's quite clever because that doesn't always happen. You know, it's, no. you can find the, you know, the, the chattering classes and some papers would say, and it doesn't actually permeate. So what happened in Wales was it did, not a, not a huge mass of people, but just enough to win in 97. And the other thing I would th- say about the 97, I was thinking about it the other day. I mean, let's remember that Lady Di died yeah. two weeks before then. You know, I, I don't yeah. think we've got a still huge stonking majority in any case. But that fact, the whole campaign was, was literally stopped for a week. And I think as yes. Peter Hayner says in, in the book, that just as things were starting at last to sort of pick yes. up some steam, because Scotland was happening, and people were starting, and I remember tele-canvassing people down in sort of, from Aberystwyth, Street, but phoning people down, so sort of, uh, well, all over the place, but portalable mm-hmm. places, and people starting to, I mean, oh yeah, this thing is happening. You can have some conversation. Lady died, died, and it literally just killed the campaign. Yeah, and you know, um, and we started with such a low base in terms of people's understanding of a lot of issues. So in in some respect, it was very good. We got that far because that that could easily. Uh, well, when when she when she did die, I thought, oh, that's the end of the devolution. I thought, you know, I thought that's it. That's going to kill it off. Yeah, I mean, Conor Davis says something very similar. Um, yeah. As someone who lived in, you know, was born in Newport and, and my parents lived there uh, all their lives, <coughs> excuse me, um, that I, I was alive in anyway. Um, I always thought it was extraordinary that the first thing you saw when you crossed the Severn Bridge and came into Wales was an army, army apprentice college. Yeah. And, um, in God, God. Exactly. And... And things like the the rugby, feeling like a. I mean, I like rugby and football, um, mm. and will watch both religiously, like you know, a great many people. But I, the goat major, the military tattoo element of a Wales international, and obviously the, mm. the feathers on the shirt. Um, I, it was really brought home to me 
researching this and particularly around 97 and devolution just that unionism and and labor welsh labor unionism um as much as the sort of arterial infrastructure of the m4 and the train to london and england you know was so um fundamental to its raison d'etre i hadn't realized the extent to which things like the military and and the monarchy played a part and you know i live quite near bracken um, and i'm amazed frankly that there's still pubs there called things like rock's drift in a garrison town well there was a john jobbins who fought in rock's drift who's my grandfather's uncle right right from uh buried in um trainer near by pontepool there uh, right. But yeah, you're right. My dad's from, from Reckon as as well. Uh, but I think that's true. And I think what happened in '97, partly because of what happens, you say, explain in the 1980s, the Welsh language was taken. The sting from the Welsh language was taken out of the the whole debate. So yeah. you started to have uh, a nation more in in tune with itself and more at ease with its Welshness, yes. which was something which wasn't happening in 1979. Um, and that was just about enough. And there was a campaign, basically, after the Language uh, Act of 1993 was won, mm-hmm. um, the Welsh language movement so basically went into hibernation. Yes. Um, you know, people are tired. You know, within ten years, took the campaign for the Welsh Language Act started in 1983. Yeah. Um, you know, it took ten years. People are just tired. It takes some time. Just people want time off. They want to look after their family, do other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that was a lucky coincidence in one respect, because what happened then was that people have got used to seeing status of Welsh, saw more status, seeing that the, the world hadn't come to an end. They could still watch Coronation Street. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that by, by lucky coincidence, in a way, because we'd won the, the S4C Channel 82 and then the Language Act 93, there wasn't much more constitutionally you could be doing for the language so there wasn't an obvious campaign so to sure. some extent i remember in 1980s welsh language groups started singing english people like you know fat coffee pubs started singing became super furry animals and that sort of um toning down or raising or fluffing or the boundaries or whatever way you want to look at it in mm. a way also contributed towards 1997 uh, win because you know the language wasn't a big issue and the parties which is one uh, thing I think to be fair to David Ellis Thomas who I do I do disagree with it quite often I think he managed to get the Labour and Plaid especially Labour to take the language out of the the whole discussion so it was just about more or less you know the constitutional question yes Kim Howells isn't someone I, I I'm personally <laughs> fond of um, and you know <laughs> and uh, again he seemed to be you know, incredibly, I, I just don't understand someone who's in the Labour Party just not being in favour of devolution if it's only because their party's in power. But yeah. he's, he's quite interesting when he talks about growing up in Hirawain in uh, the top of the Canon Valley in the sort yes. of 60s, 70s. And there was work there and it wasn't just the coal mines. So no. that, that's something I think we are sometimes in danger of forgetting. And you know, that's what happened, basically, the Max Boyce generation, if you like. Right. You know, yeah. the, the, the confidence of Max Boyce and you know, with rugby and everything in the 70s, they voted against the evolution in 79. But by 97, lots of those jobs had gone, hadn't they? And mm-hmm. the, the old confidence mm-hmm. of the, conf- the, I think, of the communities had taken a knock. And people are thinking, well, you know, we've got nothing else to lose. You know, we may mm-hmm. as well give this a go in any case. What, what can it get any worse type of thing? But mm-hmm. it is, I, I was quite glad that, 
Howards was included. Obviously, he played a big part in the minor strike as well. But to, mm. to remind people that where the jobs, there were some good jobs, uh, yeah. there were careers you could be found there. I just said, Sandarsi had an uncle working there. These mm. were big places employing thousands of people. And, you know, the, the, it was a good life for a lot of people. Maybe not, you know, super rich, not going abroad. But the people who were going abroad to Spain for the first time, they were having television colour televisions, they were able to travel and, and see a bit more of the world. Definitely. I think Kim Howells and Kevin Morgan, and obviously they, they have known each other a long yeah. time, but they both talk about um, that Klondike atmosphere at some of the heads of the Valley's communities. And and in both cases, talk about how their parents didn't want them going down the pit, you know. And so jobs in light industry, or in both their cases, education, um, was was considered a way forwards. But yes, that sense of places like Clandarthy, Llanwern, the mm. steel industry and, the, you know, petrochemical and, and places like Pontypool and Combran, yeah. um, you know, the spin, the latex, you know, latex business, all these light, light industry yeah. places, they, they'd looked after their, their people for sure. And I think it was, it was really important to kind of write about uh, Wales in 1980, you know, within a year of Margaret Thatcher's government coming to power, there was a memo from the Welsh office to the Home Office saying, we are worried about the conditions in Wales at the moment, as they, you know, they represent something similar to what was happening in the Great Depression. And obviously, in um, shot and in um, Shotton in 1980, yeah. six and a half thousand people lost their jobs in the space of three hours. It was the yeah. biggest mass redundancy at the time in Western Europe. Yeah. So that confidence you just alluded to, with Kim talking about that that atmosphere of possibility and of uh, you know a, a standard of living that allowed your leisure time to be yeah. um, valuable and and restorative. Um, that had all gone long before the miners' strike. And then your point about, you know, people feeling, well, let, you know, let's, in those communities saying, let's try something come 97. Uh, Nicky Wire, I think, you know, he really sums mm. that up in the book when he talks about them all being forced onto, his his friends being forced onto YTS schemes. And yeah. I go into some detail, uh, I hope, about the WDA and its policies of inward investment and those very, very light touch assembly yeah. jobs. And yes, Max Boyce ended up singing about those yeah. factories himself, didn't he? And it seems to me just that something could be turned off so quickly in the space of 20 years like that is, is obviously, you know, a Marxist would say, well, uh, looking at history, obviously, everyone was going to de-industrialize yeah. what what's at stake is how quickly and how it happened not the fact it happened and i think in the case of south wales and and places like shotton and deeside and and Blyney, it was the speed and the sort of um almost the venom with which it happened that i think is still quite hard to comprehend and the fact that long-term unemployment it was redefined something like 10 times in the 1980s yeah. um, just to sort of cook the figures. So, yes, I think for those areas to vote in 97, it was, what have we got to lose? And um, again, Nicky Wire says, 
there was a feeling that just liking where you're from because you're sort of so worn down by it and you almost revel in how crap your situation <laughs> is. <laughs> so he said there had to be a better feeling than that. You know, there had to be a better better way about feeling where you've come from. Yeah, and let's I, not. And I think also, and I think also maybe if if um if you feel like your political um identity is based around industry or work, which is mm. essentially what the labour movement is, and the name, the clue is in the name, then <laughs> yeah. when that industry is gone, then what are you? And Quite. I think, so the, the religion wasn't there, which was a defining feature of, yep. of Welsh identity. The work wasn't there, so the coal mine, steel mine, the quarry mine. So the one thing which was left was your Welshness. And mm-hmm. so by 97, that... You know, people don't really think in this this, this way, of course. And you know, but I think that that made the '97 vote more possible because you know they had one part identity which they still had left. Uh, so it wasn't the, the industrial part, the the work part. It was a sense of Welshness. And by '97, you know, the the arguments are the essentially the, the arguments for language are starting to be won. And you know, because the language became more civic. It wasn't an ethnic language. People who, you know, people seeing it on road signs and stuff like that, it became less of a threat, and you know that that sort of coalesced around that. Uh, there's something I, I was actually, you have a quote by me which I, I remember speaking to on, on a phone issue when you phoned me, and I mm. didn't quite understand what kind of book you're writing. Have to be honest. So when I came <laughs> out, I was, I was trying to, with a bit of trepidation, I think, oh heavens, why you told him job in Joe? <laughs> so I was a bit nervous. But there was a court then, and I'm thinking about the war which is ongoing in, in Ukraine. I think the other big change difference between 79 and 97 is, um, you know, in 79 we had the Cold War. And, you know, to 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 vote in a way, to vote for devolution for Wales in 1979 would have been quite astounding in one respect. Because, you know, again, people don't really think like this. But I think the idea of a Cold War or possibly the impending you know, nuclear disaster... I mean, a lot of people want to feel safe, and they felt safe in a bigger uh, union, which is the UK, uh, they, and with big, strong armed force, and, and which is famous for how it's, it's military and stuff. So, in a way, for for a lot of people to be feeling they were breaking away from that, though, though obviously the devolution settlement in '79 was far away from any breaking up of the union or certainly of the armed for, forces. I think that in the back of mind, that would that, that would have been. A bonkers thing for people to people would say, why would you want to break down something when we could be in a war? Obviously, mm. by '97, the Berlin Wall had fallen, not only in Berlin but also I think in Wales and in that you know, you know the internal Berlin Wall which we had you know between the language and stuff like that. But also I think this this fear that we couldn't change and you know people say okay, they started to see about Europe, they started traveling to Europe, they're more comfortable, so it's safer to vote yeah. for devolution. It wasn't a risk. I think for a lot of people in 79, it was a risk or it was something, mm. why take that risk? Because, you know, the Soviets could be coming here in, in two months' time type of thing along along the great sure. European plane. And I think that was a big change. It was obviously outside the, 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 our hands here in Wales. But thinking with the war going on in Ukraine, it'd be interesting, I don't think the war of itself, but is the heightened concern about war and, you know, that things aren't safe anymore. Mm. Is that going to make people uh, more circumspect towards you know, more powers for Wales or something? I don't think it will, but it'd be interesting if something like that does factor in there. Yes, I, it's funny that we're all rehearsing memories of, of pre 
89 pre-end of history at the moment, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, in 79, people haven't experienced Thatcherism yet either. Yeah. So I think one of the reasons people voted in 97, and let's remember in the general election that preceded the devolution vote, not one single Conservative MP was voted for in Wales and yeah. Clyde got four. Um, so I think I think just the sense that if this vote may in some way be an antidote to yeah. what's happened for the last 17 years, 18 years. Uh, I think your point about um, travel and the wall coming down is very, very, very salient. I also think another thing that's possibly, well, people do go on about it, but um, it made me rethink it was things like Italia 90 and um, right. just that, that World Cup, the World Cup being in Europe and then Euro 96 being in, I think only England. Was yeah, it, it, it was just England, yeah, yes. It was England. Um, I, I think um, there was a sense that people, you know, where people before had maybe gone interrailing or something like that, mm. people really could, you know, EasyJet came of age in that decade and people were, uh, you know, the, obviously the downside of that is things like stag weekends and Tbilisi <laughs> or <Wien. laughs> Only because you're not invited anymore, Richard. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. <laughs> and I, I, I no, wouldn't know no, what to I do just... when I got there. <laughs> but, um, but no, there was there's a sense of people. Uh, obviously, it was also a time. Obviously, Wales was still suffering, but um, per capita compared to the rest of the UK. But it was a t- you know a time of relative by the standards of yeah. GDP, relative prosperity. I also think um, demographically in 97, there was a generation of people coming to the end of their careers who were probably of that generation that had done much better than their parents, mm. you know, had, had, had good careers and had pensions. And uh, we're going back to that Max Boyce generation, maybe yeah. a little bit older. Yeah. I think there were people who were quite comfortable, comfortably off, comfortable in being in Wales and mm. thinking they'd lived good lives and had good careers and thought, yes, why not? You know, I think, um, I mean, certainly my, my, you know, my parents in Newport always voted ply. Yeah. Uh, I think you know, there were <laughs> 12 of them. <laughs> yeah, <know>? signed them <laughs> but, up. <laughs> um, exactly. But, um, but it was also... Yeah, this latter half of the 90s was a very optimistic time. And you, you watch any yeah. basically any film with uh, Hugh Grant in it and you sort of have a feeling of, of how it felt at, the, at that time. Right. And I think exactly. people feel, you watch them like Notting Hill, and for me that is so evocative of that yeah. sort of first blade uh, government where you know, there's, yeah. there's a feel of window change and, and things are happening. And, and we managed to tag on to that. I think also the other thing, and we'll sort of start dropping up soon, I mean, to go back to Kim Howells, and I didn't expect to be talking about Kim Howells as as much, but I mean... He'd be flattered. <laughs> I'm sure he would. But the <laughs> yeah. other thing he sort of brings on, because obviously the book is you're dealing with people like, you know, David Yuan, you spoke to David Yuan, you know, Fred Francis, DVs, people, um, uh, Carl Klaus, who made a huge contribution, you know, mm. setting up Dante Gurthier and, uh, and, you know, Dolan Lesotho Cymru, which is a is a, a link between Wales and Lesotho. I, I applied for a job, yeah. he didn't give it to me. I'm not bitter at all. No. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but his son um, 
Kian was the the vice chair of Yes Cymru uh, until recently. Yes. So all these great people and think and people done a huge, absolutely huge amount of work, not only for for Wales as a, as a nation or language, but also locally. Uh, and there's a there can be a danger then that people think, oh yeah, this is how Wales was. And I think what what Kim Pound Wales's contribution does, you know, by just by, by fluking away, he he gives that side to the if like the the British, the the American Wales, so people who you know wanted to be American, so they mm. didn't want to re they didn't want to revive the language. They didn't want to start a Welsh language pop scene in 1970s. They didn't want they didn't have care about you know the etymology of place names or you know was you know they wanted to be basically the new york dolls or whatever yeah and i think that's, yeah. yes and i think that's because yeah. that's probably a bigger chunk of Welsh society but what is interesting and i think this is where we are today that type of welshness and it's always has been and it's always a part of all of us to some degree we're all on us a continuum of different types of identities, Welshness or Americanism or whatever. But I think that kind of, I have the feeling that kind of um, identification is now much more comfortable in Wales. And I, from my experience with things like Yes Cymru, I think people who maybe identify strongly, in, let's say Americana and American culture, wouldn't mm. see any contradiction in supporting independent Wales. You know, is no, it, it, that, that question has become a constitution. Do I want Wales to be an independent nation state, but I can still be a big fan you know, of American pop culture or whatever it may be? And I think we, we have to bring up and revive and invent a, a new Welsh culture to be part of mm. that. But I think it's also created space where people can have a bit of both or, or none if, if they want. And I think that wasn't something that I feel wasn't maybe as possible or people didn't think was possible maybe in maybe the 70s or 60s or maybe even 80s but now is yeah you can be you don't have to be a particular type of welsh person to support independence and i think that's a big change in Welsh society well i think you've you've articulated something um that uh, you know some friends of mine who are you know quite a bit older than me i mean i'm not young by any means but they're <laughs> kind of you know, 70 now, they all are self-confessed um, South West Wales, you know, Shemeshley, yeah. uh, gr grammar school mods, you know, yeah, yeah. and they, they they talk in those terms that, you know, we wanted to go to the Patty Pavilion to see the bands and we would hitch up to London to get Levi's because you couldn't buy them in Wales. Yeah. And their whole orientation was was a sort of, form of atlanticism absolutely yeah. um and well a few things uh, i know we're wrapping up but just um one thing that struck me in the book researching the book was and i i don't know if it would ever work again or if it, it certainly didn't work for everyone at the time but something i really noticed was those grammar school mods when they did go on to positions of authority within welsh industry or welsh civil affairs they tended to take where they came from with them they didn't right. join an establishment yeah, like you yeah. do in England. They they remembered where they came from. And I think, you know, this prosperity and what we were talking about earlier, I think that benefited from that ethos. You know, those people stayed in Wales and they stayed in there, mentally at least, and often physically in the street where they were born. Um, I think you're absolutely right about that no longer being an issue. One of the things I sort of... That motivated me writing the book was the 
five times, well, three or three or two times a year during the Six Nations, when the anthem's sung and the cameraman tries to seek out the person <laughs> yeah. <they're> mentor. <laughs> he knows the words and then tries no. to seek out a very pretty girl uh, with blonde yeah, hair. So, yeah, it's two so things so to look for. So exactly. So who's who's losing it just as we get to grad grab and pumping their chair? And I just thought, right, that's fine. I've yeah. I I've stood in that stadium and cried, you know, yeah. to that anthem and I would never deny anyone the emotional cadence no. of that. And who knows what's going on in people's lives when yeah. that triggers them. But that is no longer enough as a definition of what Welshness is. That's always my thought. No, and I'm then not- well, I, ju- I just finished the thing yes. that really struck home to me as coincidence, really. But I, you know, when at the Austria game, when David yeah, Ewan yeah. was singing his heart out, the camera briefly lighted on a young woman. She's mixed race. She yeah. had the bucket hat on, she had yeah. a badge, and she had a Yes Cymru badge yeah. on her hat. And she was singing along to David Ewan's song written yeah. in 1983. I think. Yeah, that's it. I read an article about it. And, and, and I just thought, I thought, well, we're there. You know, I don't yeah. know if we're there, but we have taken that person, that young woman, is, is the Wales I want. Oh, to it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, Richard. We're just going to give a bit of info about the book. It's Brittle with Relics: A History of Wales, 1962-1997, by Faber and Faber, hard pack. It's a really good read. It's easy. You can. Um, dip in and dip out to it. A lot of interesting say the quotes over 100 people's oral history. And I think I learned a lot. It was interesting from my point of view also to see the side of people, you know, I was sort of familiar but wasn't so familiar with and other sides of, of, of Wales and Welshness. And I think that's a big eye-opener eye for certainly for myself and I'm sure for other people. I mean, is there anything you'd just like to pop in before we leave, Richard? No, just deal, Sean, and... Um... Thank you, everyone involved in Yes Cymru. I realise, like any organisations, there are ups and downs. But, um, you know, I don't want anyone involved uh, to underestimate what, what's been achieved in so short a time with Yes Cymru. And, you know, we together stronger. Yes, and I agree. And I think your book, uh, Brittle with Relics, will explain to a lot of yes company people people listening to this uh, podcast how we arrived in 97 and you know the, the next thing then is how we got from 97 to where we are now and that's a huge absolutely absolutely huge sea change as well so a lot of exciting things happening in wales now we're building a new country uh, we're getting the best of everything together we're creating something new with the roots we have and i think we're creating a fantastic little country which we can be very proud of in a few years time so richard uh, king it's been a pleasure speaking to you buy the book read it and let's get together and we'll write we'll all together write the next chapter of the history of wales exactly thank you yes 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 can we radio yes. independent yes. news and views from independent nations yes, yes.